Welcome to week three of this series that really the whole idea is indicative inside the, the, the topic or the title of this message series, How to Predict Your Future. And the, the, the idea is that really, if you pay attention to some very important principles in life that will apply themselves to you, whether you apply the principles or not, you can see what your future is going to look like. We're going to recap a little bit of what we've heard the last two weeks in just a moment. But let's all start with, with this with this thing we have in common. In fact, something we all have in common, you don't have to be a, a Christ follower for this to be in common. You don't have to be male, you don't have to be female, you, 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 you have to be one of those. But, but uh, this, is, this is about humanity, this isn't about Christianity. It's something we all have in common is, is this, you may wanna write it down. Our worst decisions are fueled by something with strong emotional appeal. Something that caught our eye, something that went, whoa, something that made us go and rewind and say, huh? Stuff with strong emotional appeal can fuel good decisions, but many times can also fuel the worst decisions we've ever made. The reason I made that decision, reason you made a series of decisions, it was so appealing. So you know what you did? You bought it. It was so appealing. You bought it. It was so appealing, you ate it. It was so appealing, you built it. Oh, man, it was, it, was, it was so appealing, you dated it, moved in with it. It was, it was so appealing, you married it. It was so, it was so, it was so a, a, appealing, you, you smoked it. So appealing that many times we can see with strong emotional appeal decisions we make that later we say, ah, what was, what was I thinking about that? Some of our worst decisions happen with things that have strong emotional appeal. And here's, here's even another danger. Those diversions, those little things that we, we can get distracted by, uh, that isn't just like a, a, a one-time thing. Many times those little bitty decisions become big decisions. They affect our whole pathway. The whole destination can be altered by little bitty decisions that have strong emotional appeal. And number two, what might begin as appealing is just one time or just one thing, one fling, one date, one encounter. What might begin as appealing has the power, actually, to become a prison. You thought it was this engaging, appealing thing, and now it's like, I'm stuck. I'm trapped. I, how do I get out of this? And it can even go beyond prison and even be poison. So I guess the, the message would basically say, let's not do, let's not, let, like, let's not do this. You're dismissed. God bless you. I mean, like that, that we, we could stop right, we could stop right there and say, like, let's let's avoid this at all costs and be and be careful. But it's not as easy as that sounds because many of us have had to deal, and if not, if you haven't, at some point you will, dealing with the reality of strong emotional appeal on the pathway that we're on. That's why we've been talking about the principle of the path. And it's so simple. It's not this, this crazy uh, mathematical life equation. It's so simple. It's, it's like this principle of the path. Direction determines destination. The best way to predict your future is to be aware of the path you're currently on. Because the path you're currently on is going to take you to, the path, to where you are headed and we added, though, because a lot of people have intentions to go down the right place. They have intentions to do, to do the right thing. They have intentions to make the right call at the right time with the right situation. 
But direction, not intention, determines destination. There's a big disconnect between where we want to end up and the path that we're on ends up. And we've got to, we got to know that, in fact, you would write this down. We've got to know direction trumps intention every single time. Now, this is why parents, parents seem to know this well. Parents seem to get this, good parents seem to get this with their, their kids. Because p- parents will react to where their kids are headed, not necessarily where their kids are. And especially when you get older kids and you're like, well, does he have a job? Mom, no, he's just, he's artistic. Like, don't pin him down. And his eyes, though, oh. Your mom's not, you know, mom don't care about the eyes. The eyes are great. The eyes are pretty. But, but, but she, she cares about where, where he's headed. And you, you only see like what's now. But the parent tends, can tend to see or your good friend and definitely your heavenly father. He sees, yeah, I know. But like later on, his eyes are going to be beautiful. But, but when, you're, when you're not getting the bills paid, it don't matter what color of blue his eyes are. And so your parents tend to see, no, no, it's not about that lie. It's about, we, we don't want to create a, a bedrock of, of fabrications and lies that lead us to a, 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 a soft character over here. It, it, we care about where you're headed, not just where you are. So when we discipline parents, we can't, here's, here's, can I just give you this little trick? Don't discipline only for what has happened. You discipline by pointing to the future of where you're headed. So you don't just discipline, you lied to me, Put, open your mouth and palm olive. My mom and dad did the palm olive treatment for us. It was not a, a bar of soap, it was straight up liquid palm olive. You ever heard, the, you ever said shut up and they heard you? They say palm olive treatment, go to your room, you're like, oh man. They go, they just, and it wasn't just like, you know, stick, stick out your tongue and just like a little bit. It was like, open your mouth. You have palm olive in your mouth. You know, swallow a little bit. Three days later, you're still belching bubbles. Mom, watch. Pop. Your breath smelled good for a while, though. That was the positive. The palm olive tree, like, like you're not just disciplining for that moment. You're preparing for the future head. Come on, parent. You, you, you with me? Like, so, so, so we can get so stuck with what they just did versus pointing them to where they need to go. Direction. Trump's intention every time. And so today what we're going to lean into a little bit is is this, number three. The path to be avoided is always paved with strong emotional appeal. In other words, you can't get past the reality of the path you're on is going to have moments and things that have strong emotional appeal that have a that that have the potential or capacity to lead you off path to lead you astray. When I was 13 years old, my family took a little California trip from Kansas to California. It took us two weeks, not just to get to California, but we went like everywhere. And stupid places too. Grand Canyon, awesome. It is grand. But like we also saw like the biggest ball of yarn in Kansas. What? What? The largest hand dug well. My dad's like taking video with his massive 74-pound video camera. Oh, this is the biggest hand dug well. When are we going to California? 
went all of these different places, went to a place called the Petrified Forest. Anybody ever been to the Petrified Forest? And my dad's taking video of the whole thing, and, and my dad loves the signs, all the signs. And so through this video, you know, two or three of these VHS tapes that we have now, you know, in the museum of the Yancey Heritage, a lot of it is just like pictures of monuments. That's it, you know? In fact, there's this picture I've even shown at this church where there's little feet on top of the monument, like walking and dancing, and the whole focus is this. And my dad, when he saw, when we watched back the video, he began to cry in the middle of our living room. He's like, I was, I was, I was just recording the monuments, and look at those little feet. I don't even have their faces in the camera. I was focused on the wrong thing. And there's this moment in the petrified forest where we're all standing around and dad gets it on camera. He goes, Jared, my younger brother, run way up there. There's a sign. Yell out what that sign says because maybe that's where we go next. And so Jared, you can see him just run all the way down this path. And we're all waiting. I wonder what it says. Maybe it says we go right. Maybe it says we go left. And you can hear my second grade brother yell this out. Here's what he yells. What does it say, Jared? It says... Stay on the trail. <laughs> and really, that's kind of what I'm saying to you today. All kinds of places you could go. Stay on the trail because on the trail, you're always going to be enamored with, attracted to, distracted by Stuff with strong emotional appeal. Here's some things that would fit that list. Something newer. Newer car, newer home, newer job, newer spouse. Faster, bigger. It got a 25, baby, 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 baby. It's a guaranteed 25% return. I know, I know we're going to have to like, I know we're going to have to cash out the kid's college fund, but it's a guaranteed 25% return. Romance has a strong emotional appeal. Desire for things, desire to be loved, desire to be accepted, attention, to have the right attention. So those are that's an emotionally appealing thing. And so sometimes we, we become who we really aren't in order to, because it's so appealing to be desired or be paid attention to. Adventure, this sense of, of adventure because the life you're living just doesn't feel very fantastic anymore. And so there's someone in your office who they're just always so adventurous and they notice you and you notice them. And there's just that strong emotional appeal, security. I mean, you know, the, the whole idea of security is not, a, none, of these are, none of these are bad things, are they? 25% return, that's not a bad thing. But what they represent is the opportunity to get off path because you're following something appealing versus staying on the path that is more satisfying. For example, security says, well, do you really love her? Ah, you know, mom, it's, it's more about she has a steady job. She's consistent. She tells me the truth. I mean, that it, it, I feel security with her. Do you really love him? You really love him? Mom, I'm not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger. And I, I, my, my, my options are going, <laughs> feels like. And so for security's sake, some strong emotional appeal, people make decisions based on that. Now, here, here's, what, here's what I want to tell you. Um, Things with, th things with a strong emotional appeal. Something, something with a strong emotional appeal 
You know this is the truth. If you have kids, you know this is the truth, but, but, but you deal with it too. Something with strong emotional appeal, it will lower our defenses. So what you wouldn't normally buy, you might buy because your defenses have been lowered. Janet and I were on this uh, getting out of debt adventure in early 2004. And we, we uh, took, us a, uh, took us about eight months. We got 100% debt free and, and we lived, lived that way for many, 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 many years. And we were eating, I mean, Pop-Tarts and ramen and SpaghettiO and meatballs, SpaghettiOs and meatballs uh, in order to save as much money to get out of debt. But one night we were watching television and a commercial came on and it was Dairy Queen. And it was the brownie batter blizzard. Jesus, aha! We felt the anointing, the Shekinah glory filled the place, aha! And we looked at each other. I said, you thinking what I'm thinking? She goes, get your keys. And we sped to the local Dairy Queen and had ourselves not many blizzards. Get that crud out of here. We had the large blizzards. Filled with brownie batter, bless God. Why? It was just so appealing. Man, don't, don't watch infomercials late at night. Man, all I have to do is electrocute my belly for four hours while I'm at work, and I will get six-pack abs? Sign me up. Strong emotional appeal. Some with strong emotional appeal, like it just, it lowers our defenses and we just don't think exactly right. You know what else it does? It raises our defensiveness. So people that we love say, are you sure about that? Because here's what happens when we lower our defenses and we raise our defensiveness, uh, confirmation bias builds in and we, we choose to see what we, what, what we only want to see. We, we choose to hear what we only want to hear. That, that can happen as something with strong emotional appeal, relationally, physically, emotionally, you name it. It just, we're just not, the same way you're not you when you're hungry, you tend to not be the best you when there's something with strong emotional appeal distracting you from where you need to go. It, it's just a reality of, of life. And here's what, uh, here's what happens. Your IQ goes down with strong emotional appeal. Your IQ goes down. What? It does. It does. Because when you choose something, you later say, because you have regret, you say, ah, oh, how could I have been so stupid? Your IQ went like that. Now, you're not stupid. You're not stupid. You're normal. Stuff with strong emotional appeal can get us distracted on the path that we're supposed to be on. So if you're distracted by what's on the path, you, you may opt for appealing over satisfying. Last week we talked about what is truly satisfying in this world, ending up where you intended to end up. Something more so satisfying about your children and the child, your children's children is that they would end up where you hoped they would end up. Regardless of their financial income, regardless of what college they go to, regardless of what technical school, regardless of what job, uh, even what's like that, that the reason we care about their spouses, the reason we care about their futures, we want them to end up where we hope they'll end up. That's satisfaction. And I hope we opt for that over 
appealing. So, so really the idea is this, don't choose appealing over satisfying. Now what's amazing is, this isn't a new concept. The Apostle Paul, who wrote more books of the New Testament than any other author, he for a long time was on a path hell-bent to destroy the Christian faith. He was on a path that wasn't only against Christianity, he was persecuting Christians. I mean, the Bible, as you read the book about it, you can see that even Paul himself, before he had an experience with Jesus, he was holding the coats so the guys could warm up the arms. They could warm up and get a good throw and take stones and crush the body of Stephen, the very first martyr, and Paul held the clothes, their, their jackets, and watched as they killed Stephen. It wasn't until a trip to Damascus that, that he had an unbelievable encounter with Jesus and it radically changed everything. Just like some of you today, you're here and you, you've had a moment, you've had an encounter with Jesus today. It, it changes stuff. And I mean, he, he, he begins to uh, plant churches all in the Mediterranean and the Middle East. He then, as he's pastoring and leading them, he can't be more than one place at one time. So he begins to write letters to these churches. And that's, those letters are what we have now as a big bulk of the New Testament. Those letters to those churches. And it's in a letter to the church of Galatia that Paul has started over there. He's encouraging them how to walk out this pathway. 2,000 years ago, and it's still good stuff for us today in our culture. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 5. He says, now you, my brothers and sisters, you're called, you're designed, you're commissioned to be what? Free. If your version of Christianity or following God, following Christ, hasn't an, an element of freedom in it, and it's more just like, uh, don't do that, and don't do this, and you're, and, and man, you, the only t-shirts you can wear are Christian t-shirts. Like, like that's, that's a restrictive, if you grew up in that kind of Christianity, you grew up in the wrong Christianity. It's a wrong version of that. Because following Christ is meant to be liberating and freeing experience, not, not a condensing binding prison experience. You're my brothers and sisters. We're called to be free. But then he gives the, the side of this. But, 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 but. Do not use your freedom to indulge, take advantage of, enjoy overly the flesh. Don't say yes to every fleshly impulse that you have. Because here's, here's, the, here's the dichotomy. Here's the paradox. You would think that because I'm free, I can do whatever I want. Can't wait to get out of the house, mom and dad, so then I can live my life and do whatever I want. And mom and dad go, yeah, go. <laughs> That's a false misrepresentation of what freedom really is, isn't it? Oh, I can't wait to be free. He says, don't, don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh, meaning that if I use my freedom to do anything and everything as long as it feels good, and that's today's cultural value, whatever feels good, whatever you think is good, whatever is, has strong emotional appeal, you only got one life, live it up. YOLO! So just live it. Live it up. Live it to the full. 
no regrets, go all in and just have, just be you. And, but, but, but actually, that, that, that indulging of that freedom doesn't bring freedom, it brings prison. Just going on with, with just those things that sound good at the time, those can be diversions and distractions that lead to appealing but dissatisfying results. You're called to be free. Don't indulge. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, and here's what he says, don't do that. Do this. Serve one another humbly in love. Now, that sounds like just a good, just a good T-shirt. That sounds like, like everybody ought to do that. Grab a Coca-Cola and do it. That sounds like a Coca-Cola like language right there. But it's way beyond Coca-Cola. It's, it's, it's serve one another humbly in love. Now, if we just tried to figure out love and service on our own, we would get it wrong. The way we find the purest definition of service, servanthood, surrendered self, and love is we see Jesus. And the more you walk with Jesus, the more you understand what love is. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you understand what servant-heartedness is. And he doubles down on this idea. Instead of like indulging in the flesh, serve one another humbly in love, he doubles down by saying this. For the entire law, the entire law, 613 Jewish commandments that he's talking to his audience here, 613 rules, all of that hangs on keeping this one commandment. And that one commandment, it almost feels... Too good to be true. It almost feels too simple. But it really is a New Testament way of seeing it's not about what you don't do. It's about what you do. Because if you do what God's called you and created you and designed you to do and designed you to be, out of that love, out of that uh, understanding of who you are, it, 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 your desires to do what God wants you to do change. The entire law is keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you follow Jesus, who is the embodiment of love, you begin to understand how to love your neighbor. And see, some of us, we, we say, that sounds good. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But the way, you've, you, the way you understand love is not defined by, by Jesus. It's, just defi- it's defined more of things with strong emotional appeal. Do you know that it is not a strong emotional appeal to humble ourselves? It's more of a strong emotional appeal to be right and be right, the first, be, be, be the final word, to get put the last word in edgewise. Like that's what strong emotional appeal is to, to me, myself, and mine, and I, and, and I care about you, but I want what I want. And that's what our emotional appeal leads us to many times, selfishness. Can I give you a secret, husbands and wives? If you could figure out the art of outserving one another, Outserving one another humbly in love, where you just try and figure out how you can outserve them. Not so you can say, Ha, outserved you, jerk. It's kind of the wrong attitude there. I, I can tell you, I can go back to the last two fights that my wife and, ha- and I have had in the last 10 years. That's a joke. <laughs> 10 minutes, okay? I, you, Janet and I could go back to any argument. And most every single argument, every single spat could come down to if she tried to outserve me and I tried to outserve her, that thing would have dissipated real fast. We love each other 
the way Christ loves us. So much where he's, sometimes he's taken advantage, he's taken advantage of for us. He sacrifices for us. He, he is torn open for us. So, all that to say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. That stuff with strong emotional appeal, walk more in tandem with Jesus. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you're able to not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he begins to, to, to break this down for us. And he says, the flesh... You know what the flesh wants? It desires what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. These are things in your life you can't get away from it. You are embodied in flesh and and you have a spirit. You're embodied in flesh and you have a spirit. And inside, your body's like, yeah, let's go do this. And your spirit's like, we ought not do that right now. I want to live my life. Let me live my life. You know, you're, you're just, a, you're just, you know, don't, don't tell me how to live. The Spirit's like, I'm with you. We need to live this way. You know, you know, you ought not to do that. You know, you've, you, you know, you know that that's not the right path. Come, come on, say no to that. But if I say yes this one time, it won't make any difference. You said that the last 412 times. The spirit and the flesh, they're at war. What's contrary to the spirit, here's what it says. They're in conflict with each other. Conflict's everywhere. You have, that's why we have conflict management. It's why we have like departments in large organizations that have to do with dealing with conflict. Because there is conflict around us. Because Susie and Bob are having conflict in your office. Susie and Bob are going, just going at it, da, 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 Susie, well, yeah, Bob. You got it around you, and you're like, I don't want to be involved in all that, so you just put the headphones in. Then you have conflict between you, where now it's you and Bob and Susie, and you guys are having to duke it out battle royale at Human Resources. Then you have conflict in you. So no wonder we have to deal with conflict. You've got it around you. You've got it between you and someone else. But the one that's the silent killer is the conflict that's happening all the time inside of us. We're at conflict with what our flesh says. (laughs) Let's go chase after that. Anything. And the Spirit's saying, oh, let's have discipline here. Wouldn't it be fun to be disciplined and say no over time and then have results for that? Yeah, I know, but tonight we are going to have fun. The flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit, what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Why? So if you always just did whatever your impulses said do, whatever your flesh said do, there's this conflict. The Spirit's trying to help offset some damage in your life because you're not designed, you live free, but you're not designed to do whatever you want to do. A strong emotional appeal on something is not a green light. It's a caution flag. It's saying, hey, because that is emotionally appealing to you, Push pause. There's nothing wrong with saying, let me think about this for a minute. There's nothing wrong with saying, let me get back to you. Something with strong emotional appeal is not a green light. My emotions, I mean, I just feel, feel, he just says things that I wish my husband would say. 
It just, it just makes sense if I just, if I just fudge the numbers a little bit here, I'll save thousands in taxes and nobody will ever know. And the thing with strong emotional appeal is not a green light. It is a caution flag. And now he gives us the other side. He says, now, if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Being led by the spirit, it's not restrictive. You're under that one law. Love yourself, love your neighbors as you love yourself. Love your neighbors as yourself. So here's a question I'm not even going to answer for you. I want you to think about it in the context of if I'm going to surrender my life to Christ and his ways as a roadmap for life, here's a question I want you to be, be thinking about this week. Here it is. What does love require of me? Not, not love that you define, not love that, uh, that, that Taylor Swift defines, not, not love that this culture defines. What, what, how, Jesus and his love, what does that kind of love require of me? How I should act, how should I treat others, how, what I should say no to, uh, where I should humble myself. What does love require of me? And that, that takes a proximity change to Jesus. The more you're closer to Jesus, the more your life is transformed. The more you understand what real love is all about. Now, Paul says that's, that's what we need to be living by. But then he says, now, the acts of the flesh, that other guy inside you that's saying, hey, come on, let's go. Just one time. Come on, it's just cheesecake. The flesh inside those are obvious too. The list hasn't changed. In fact, he gets ready. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he's going to list several of them. Do you know what? The list hadn't changed much in 2,000 years. You would think in a agrarian society with no real incredible formal system of even plumbing that some of the flesh attractiveness would change over 2,000 years. But those acts of the flesh are pretty obvious way back in Paul's day and right here in 2019. And here he gives, this, here he gives a list. He starts with, with a big one. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, just like going all, no care for any limitation, way outside of the limits. Idolatry and witchcraft. Oh, I don't have witchcraft on the list. <laughs> well, do you know the Bible says rebellion is a form of witchcraft. Like when you're rebellious, it, it, that's, that's like, that's a different religion. That, that's a cultish way to act. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. Factions like, no, no, I'm going to spread that around the office because I'm hoping to get that person fired or written up, whatever. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the like means, and everything else you can think of that's flesh, like, yeah, you're right, it's on the list. Now, let's, let's just break this down into three, because I don't have time to talk about each one of these, but let's just break it down to maybe three of these. All right, here they are. Sexual immorality, selfish ambition, and envy. Now, when we start talking about sexual immorality in the church, I've heard this before, and maybe you've even been the one saying it. The church ought to stay out of the bedroom. Church ought to mind its own business and stay out of people's bedrooms. What's, what, what is between two consenting adults is between two consenting adults. What business is it of the church, what business is it for you to think you can speak into my own personal sexual life. Now, 
if that's how you feel, okay, and you, uh, I want you to know you're not alone. In fact, in fact, believe it or not, even the Apostle Paul says the same thing. What? Yeah. The Apostle Paul says the same thing about those that are living a life outside of following Christ. And here's what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, hey, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Let me read it again. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So in other words, it's crazy to me that Christians judge non-Christians for lifestyles or behaviors. They say, well, they ought to be living like a Christian, but they're not a Christian. They're not a Christian. So guess what they're going to live like? Not a Christian. Like how about you worry about the speck or your own sequoia tree, Right? Okay, but now, now, but now, okay. So what business is like, like, let, here's what he goes on to say. But when it comes inside the church, it's a different matter. So, so here's where, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Because we're living in, in such a, a culture that things are, are becoming so gray in some areas and, and so difficult to navigate. It was really easy 60 years ago to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And it's still true today. But just putting our fingers in our ear and saying, la, 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 God said it, I believe that settles it. And not having conversation with people we love that are dealing with sexually uh, charged items. Well, that's not an answer either. So here's how we have to deal with this. Here's how we have to deal. If you want to follow Christ, there is a, a reality of surrendering anything that's emotionally appealing and saying, Jesus, your way, not just my way. And I also want to say this. Tons of great, like, very serious counseling sessions that I've had as a pastor. I want to tell you, people come and say, I need to tell you something. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to talk about it. I don't know what to say about it. I just, I've been dealing with this. I've got this thing in my pad. I just need to share it with you. Can I talk to you? Can you promise that we can keep it confidential? Usually they're not saying, oh, I got a parking violation. Like, like it's not, that's not what they say. Usually it's something with strong emotional appeal. And I would say a huge chunk of that has to do with, with sexual things. So let me so hear me on this, everybody. Hear me. Outside the church, if you're not claiming Christ as your Savior in the center, live, live the way you're going to live. Um, but when you say, I want to follow Jesus... You, you automatically begin to align yourself with not everything I want, but what he wants for me. And because of that, do you know that Jesus loves you so much? And because sexual stuff, every person deals with it. I remember in youth group saying like to students, you know, your mom and dad have had sex because you're here. And they've probably had sex more than once. And they're like, oh, stop. And your grandparents have had sex too. Oh no! Like, like it's, it's 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 terrible. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, some of you grandparents are like, bless God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the oven's an older model, but I can still heat up. <laughs> 
what in the world am I? That was not in the first service. <laughs> so, so, so here, here, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm walking the line. It's about as close as I'm standing. I think look at this stage right now. So hear me, everybody. Hear me. Hear me. Jesus loves you deeply. No matter where you are, no matter how you identify yourself, he loves you deeply. But he loves you deep enough to not stay silent on such a big issue. So when the Bible speaks to how we should engage an understanding of a sexual ethic, when the Bible speaks, we need to listen. You don't want to live for Christ? Do it however you want to do. When we live for Christ, we begin to say, okay, ooh, there's, some things that don't, there's some things that don't line up. And before you think that I'm speaking on one particular thing, I, I'm, I'm talking about lust, guys. I'm talking about pornography. I, I, I'm talking about sex outside of, of marriage. I'm, I'm talking about uh, sex acts between a man and a woman, sex acts between a woman and a woman, or a man and a man. I'm talking about when we come underneath the one command to love your neighbor as yourself and we surrender to what that love really is, we then have to begin to navigate, okay, this is the way I feel. Jesus, will you help me with this? Because this isn't lining up to what I'm reading about here. And it's a travel. It's a journey. It's a destination. And your direction will determine that destination. Selfish ambition is right on the list too. Envy is on the list. Okay, so before we, before we think that we're kind of, oh, no, all the, 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 you know, the sex talk is fine. I'm, we're, we're good. We're good. Let's get on. Like selfish ambition and envy, that every single one of us deal with those things. Now, he says, he finishes his argument by saying, hey, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, that they just indulge those things, they're thinking, I'm free to be me, I'm free to live however I want, just, just let me be me, you do you, I'll do me. Who, whoever lives like this, and here's his statement, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, the way God sees the world, you, you won't see it the way God sees it. And, 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 and understanding uh, uh, eternity with God it's, if there's nothing inside you saying, oh, wait a second, I, I think I need to rethink this, careful, because I'm afraid you're not going to inherit all that God has for you, all that God wants for you. When we keep being sidetracked by those things with strong emotional appeal. He finishes with a positive. He says, but... Okay, all that being said, the fruit of the Spirit, your branches will produce this kind of fruit when you're being led by the Spirit, walking in tandem with Jesus. Love, joy, peace, forbearance. And that's a, it's a sexy word for patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, single people. How many of you would say, that's the kind of man I want to marry right there? Ugh. Of course. Of course. But you know what that means, ladies? He probably wants to marry a woman like that too. So like become the person you would like to marry. Like, like, you can't expect to kind of live it up. But I want just that strong Christian man who's going to pray with me every day. 
in the meantime, my girls. <laughs> and here's how Paul, he puts like a, he puts the, puts the, the cherry on top. He says, you live like this against such there, against such things, there is no law. When you follow the emotional appeal of the flesh, you're going to run into some law breaking. You will. When you follow the spirit and you begin to see the fruit of the spirit lived out, there's no law against that. There's not a single wife that has ever said, oh, you know, I'm so frustrated about my husband. He's just faithful all the time. Like, I don't even have to question him ever about anything. He's just so faithful. Oh, my kids, ah, they're driving me crazy with their kindness. No, there's not a parent alive. Like, ah, oh, I, wish, I wish my teenager would just be a little, you know, less self-controlled. No, there's no, there's no law against these things. It's just, it's, it's, you know what it is? It's freedom. It's freedom. Love, joy, peace, patience. Freedom to live like that. Oh, you couldn't imagine the kind of freedom you get to have. Does not mean I can't have fun doing that? It's, it's, that's, that's, don't, don't even look at it that way. Look at all I, look at all I, I receive when I, when I lean into Jesus. And I follow him. So let's self-reflect today as we finish up. Little self-reflection, little personal inventory on the shelves of our heart. Number one. And this is more a truth than a question. I'm living for something and someone. You are living for something. You are living for someone. And that someone may be uh, the, the name that's on your driver's license. You're living for something and someone. So what's it going to be and who's it going to be? It's a question for self-reflection. What are you really truly living for? Number two, have I become so enamored with something or someone that's on my path that I fail to recognize where the path I'm on is taking me? So about getting that money, so about making that happen, so about climbing the ladder, so about making sure you get recognized, so, so about proving dad wrong, so about finally saying that mom wasn't right you fail to recognize where the path you're on is taking you. Number three, have I lowered my defenses on something? Have you found yourself talking with people that love you and have a track record of loving you and saying, you just don't know my situation. You just don't understand. And yet, and yet, just, I'm, I'm not saying that they're right, but I'm saying, could you have been a little too defensive because you've not quite seen where that decision is taking you. And maybe you're here, everybody, and you've got some regret because the decision you've made has led you down a path that you never intended to travel. And here you are at an intersection today, January 28th, 2019, and you're, you're disappointed because your current destination is not where you want it to end up. Maybe you're asking this question with self-reflection today. Oh, I wish I could get back on track. Is, is there a way back? Is there a way back? <laughs> is there? The answer is this. 
Yes. Yes, it is. Look, pay attention. Pay attention right here. Pay attention right here. There is a way back. Yes, there is. <laughs> because direction, not intention, determines destination. And can I say something to you? You, if you uh, sow into the flesh, if you sow into strong, emotional, appealing things, you will reap what you, yeah, it's true. But the good news is it works the other way too. If you sow into the spirit, if you sow into surrender, if you sow into Jesus and follow him, you reap what you, because direction determines destination. So is there a way back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called re repenting. It's called repenting. And that, that's just a Bible term that says change directions. Directions. Just change the way you see this and begin to walk the other way. Hey, hey, everybody that responded today or in the last few months about following Jesus as their Lord and Savior, one way we show that we're changing directions is through water baptism. Next Sunday, we're going to have super splash. Super blast. You know, who cares about a Super Bowl? Lord have mercy. I put myself out there last week. I mean, we prayed for the, I prayed for the Chiefs. You, you obviously didn't. Touch him, Jesus. But you know what? If you're following Christ, the way you go public with that, uh, this was important what we did here, celebrating you. But the Bible way of, of going public in our faith, saying this is the direction I'm going to take, is through water baptism. And outside, you can sign up for water baptism. You can sign up online at, at timbercreekchurch.com. So simple. Check out our Facebook page, whatever. We, we would love to celebrate. Next Sunday, we'll do baptisms in both services. And, I mean, we, we, last time we, we did a Super Bowl, Super Splash kind of thing. Uh, I mean, it was like 50-some people getting water baptized that had made their decision to follow Christ. And, and so maybe that's your next step of changing directions. And maybe your next step is to have a conversation with someone that you love and say, hey, I've been defensive on that. Can we have coffee again and just kind of relay replay your concerns. I just want to, I want to be more open. I want to, my defenses uh, have been lowered. My defensiveness has been up. Let's, let's talk. Maybe you need to find someone. That's why we do groups. We don't do groups just so like, okay, tell us what you're dealing with. Tell us what you're dealing with. Tell us what your secret's in. Like <laughs> that doesn't happen in a group. If that happens week one in a group, let me know. We're not going to do that. Okay. But, but what we do is we find people that, that kind of have a meet you know, hey, I, I've been dealing with stuff too, or I, I'm, I'm, I've got this decision I need to make. And someone else says, yeah, that's, that's me as well. And, and so I just, I encourage you, be a part of a group. You can sign up for a group, whatever. Just, just know you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Would you pray with me? <sighs> Jesus, would you help us? Would you guide us? We lean in today to your path. God, would you forgive us when we've diverted, when we've made decisions based on our flesh versus growing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I pray you touch every person, man, woman, and child in this room that we would follow you and love each other based on that love that you have for us and we have for you. And by doing so, we produce that kind of fruit we've read about today. 
We ask it in mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said a good amen.